The year is 1967. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. the comic book expert, and alongside Zach, the comic book, uh, we'll say Stiltman, we'll cover all the essential Marvel stories from its origin to today. <laughs> too, too insulting? Oh, I just, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> I'm furious. Well, I guess we'll decide over the course of this episode if the podcast is going to continue. <laughs> Fair. This episode, we'll be covering the first part of 1967. Again, we are deep into Marvel Silver Age 1960s comics. So if you're curious to see all the books that we've talked about prior to 1967, we recommend going back uh, when we started with Marvel Year One, 1962. That's right. Year six. Right? That's crazy. Yeah. Wait, six, seven, six. Yeah, I feel like we're... Uh... No, going at a nice clip now. Definitely. So we're going to get into some um, pretty good Fantastic Four and Amazing Spider-Man issues today. Before we do so, I would say, um, first off, thanks to everyone who's rated and reviewed on iTunes and your podcast player of choice. If you've been listening and uh, would consider doing the same, leaving us a rating or review, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks as well to our supporters on Patreon. Uh, the My Marvelous Year Club has been really, really cool. If you're interested in seeing how you can support the show and some of the cool exclusive bonuses we have, go on over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Yes, please. Thanks a lot for the support. All right, so we're going to kick things off with some Fantastic Four. Uh, we're going to read number 57 through 60, starting out with 57 called Enter dot 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 Dr. Doom. Pretty boring title. We've got Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and inks by Joe Sinat. Sinat? Sinat? I really like his art here. He draws a really good Sandman compared to Ditko's version. I like Ditko's Sandman or John Romita at this point, but uh, yeah, I really like the way that um, Jack Kirby draws draws Sandman, and the, the ink here really helps, though it's less clean and colorful than Jack Kirby generally is, I think. It's a little bit more detailed. Yeah, I would say the fact that Sandman's even in this issue is mm. is kind of more what I was hung up on. <laughs> because... Well, he's part of the, the Frightful Four, right? And that's kind of what they're they're doing here. Yeah, but it's like, this is such a big Doctor Doom story. I, I just yeah. had totally forgotten the Frightful Four had even a minor role in this. Um, and I kept just thinking, like, just let's get past this. Let's get to the good stuff here. It doesn't even really play into things ultimately so anyway we start out we're at the prison where sandman is attempting to escape the fantastic four are there as prison guards um they fight him with the help of the wizard sandman crawls through a vent (laughs) and escapes the prison and that was the plan all along the wizard planned the whole thing out (laughs) haha i don't know why we have this cutaway like we're gonna see sandman later but he's not gonna be a big player so it's not all that interesting but the the fight's good this issue and the next couple ones, I've noticed Reed is getting really good use of his powers. Have you noticed this? Like, Yeah, he's starting to do more fun stuff. He's rolling around like a big ball, a big wheel. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, just getting like, they're just making him use it at all possible moments. Mm-hmm. Like he's just in the lab and he's just, his arms are stretched out using 
grabbing everything from around the lab and he's he's just more naturally stretchy i always think like i always think reed should basically just be perpetually sitting you know he's always kind of like frantic and running yeah. around but it's like he can reach anything from anywhere he should never right. need to get yeah. up that's a good point <laughs> i can just picture like a baxter building where reed just has one room where he's sitting in in the dark and running all of the Baxter building from one room, just his <laughs> his limbs splayed out across yeah. the entire building. Just this, like, horrifying, you know, he, he never bathes. <laughs> and, and no one's allowed to go in there and see, see Reed except for his limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, Sue Storm is also starting to use her powers in these issues. And we've seen this a little bit before, but she's really starting to become an active fighter. It's still kind of obnoxious because she generally only does it when Reed orders her to. Like... She's like a Pokemon to go out and be commanded. And yeah. Like, she's useful, but it, it's usually, like, Reed directly saying, like, all right, Sue, hold, hold, now. And, you know, her being like, did I do all right, Reed? That gets bucked a little bit here. Yeah, I think he'll do the same things with, you know, Ben and Johnny, but the difference is we've seen them operate on their own as well, and obviously they just, they don't have the ties to Reed that that sort of prevent them from... <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's Sue is like kind of stuck with him, which is uh, you know maybe the least flattering way to describe marriage. <laughs> yeah, and they've been married like a year, so yeah. So the the main thing here is that we see Silver Surfer, who since being not banished to Earth, uh, imprisoned on Earth by Galactus, he's just roaming the Earth, and he, he's been around a couple other issues. There's some Thor issues where he ends up getting tricked by Loki into fighting Thor, going to Asgard and fighting Thor. Uh, he gets an invitation from Dr. Doom to visit Latveria as a, a royal guest of Dr. Doom. And he goes, and Silver Surfer is being characterized as kind of this like noble, honorable warrior who's a little naive, right? Like he's pretty easy to lead around by the nose. And Dr. Doom is trying to sweet talk him into you know, showing off his powers and seeing really the extent of the Silver Surfer's powers, which are like incredibly powerful. Yeah, Doom trying to be polite reminded me a lot of J. Jonah Jameson when he's happy. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's so out of character and clearly an act. Um, yeah. But it is kind of entertaining to see Doom like hoisting pleasantries on someone because mm-hmm. it comes yeah. so clearly unnaturally to him. You can see it's just through clenched teeth. And there, there's a funny moment where one of his workers like stumbles over Dr. Doom's cape. And just like, please forgive me, Master. Please, not the ultimate punishment. And Doom, like, can't contain himself and starts threatening the guy. And then he's like, oh, no, my simple man. Please continue about your business. Like, why would Doom ever be upset about something like that? Yeah. You know, and then, like, he gives hand gestures, like the <laughs> the finger across the throat gesture to uh, some lackeys. Right, right. <laughs> While Silver Surfer's not looking. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Silver Surfer is showing off his cosmic powers. And Doom asks for an, a, a demonstration, and Silver Surfer immediately just destroys the tower that they're standing in, which I think is a little <laughs> overblown. And then he's like, I like this moment where Silver Surfer says, oh, well, just a second, let me let me put that back together for you. And Doom's like, no, it's fine, I got workers, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main thrust is that while he, he distracts Silver Surfer with a TV, <laughs> there's a very... It's a really cute shot here of Dr. Doom just basically puts on images of the galaxy for Silver Surfer to look at. And there's this picture of him with the widest smile, this big dopey grin on his face. And he's just enraptured like, stars, I miss those. And while he's not looking, Dr. Doom sneaks up behind him and clamps some machinery on him that transfers. 
his cosmic power into Doctor Doom, stripping of of his power. Yeah, you do get um, you get some nice images of Doom's own like workshop as he kind of does this, and just of mm-hmm. his proceedings through the castle. We don't often see him like in his own domain. This frequently, there's some really nice Kirby machinery, which I always love his art on. Uh, as far as like what Doom is, who knows what Doom is building? Some nefarious uh, invention, but it's it's a really cool design and splash page. You know what? I, I this is where I feel like I actually got a little like exhausted by just like a page full of Kirby machines that are you know that they're no not functional or they don't do anything. It's just background stuff. I don't know. Like I just feel like I've I've seen it before. Like that might be sacrilegious to say. There's been a couple times in these comics this year that I was like, "Yeah, okay." I I feel like it just is so come so naturally to him. I think I think it's definitely some of the best artwork in these books. So I think it stands out for that reason. I also do think it adds some flavor to this story because we don't get to see the inner proceedings of Doom's castle very often. Um, so it's I I I will always take. Well, specifically Kirby machinery or like weaponry design, but also I will always take like a splash page of an artistic layout to to spice things up because there's so much four panel colorless back, like just a yes. big like yes, color background. I always want that breaking it up. So I I find it um, actually like helps get through the issue um, at, a, at a better pace. Yeah. Yeah. I Oh, for sure. That's that's one of the things I want to touch on this year is just pacing. Like the pacing is getting so good in all these comics, with with one outstanding exception that like just <laughs> killed me that we'll get to. But uh, like Lee is Lee or Kirby, I guess Kirby draws them, so like he's kind of he kind of paces them out generally in the way that they pace scene to scene, panel to panel. Um, but like the 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 actual pacing of these, is yeah, good. I would give flow credit to Kirby on Fantastic Four issues, yeah. And yeah, yeah, and uh, and John Romita later on Spider Man, but like yeah, the flow of these issues is just getting so good because they're they're starting to do this thing where they juggle multiple scenes at the same time, um, and they have all these different you know balls in the air and they kind of cut between them and it's just like you don't get this thing where it's nine pages of one fist fight where it's just like please please I'm done with this let's let's move on like please someone someone just knock someone out so we can move on to the next scene they split it up over you know three different scenes and even if it's the same fight it still just helps like helps let the whole thing breathe i'd also mention here that you know this is the source material for the mid 2000s uh fantastic four sequel the rise of the silver surfer which well it's it's an easy movie to forget about if you can um not not a great one, but you can. They're drawing from this story, which I quite like. So I I appreciate the inspiration, if not the mm-hmm. outcome. I remember liking that when I saw it in theaters when I was like seventeen, eighteen. I remember I enjoyed that, but like I've since watched YouTube clips of it, and yeah, oof. Um. Anyway, so that's mostly what's going on with Doctor Doom. This issue, we get a really cool shot of him flying away from his castle on Silver Surfer's surfboard. It's always fun to see these like transposing of powers the like the mix-up of powers one hero grabbing another hero's powers and that being shown visually yeah doom taking the power cosmic i think is particularly fun um we have one it's it's he's you know taking control of this hero that we very recently met um but also like we've seen him aspire towards i guess different power before but this is the first instance where he really grabs something that maybe like this doesn't belong to humans right this isn't like yeah 
an earthly power set. And this is something that will continue to be a big part of like Dr. Doom stories that I love where he, he sees this power set and has to grab it and he, and he succeeds in doing so. I think it's the craziest thing. Yeah. And they do a good job building this up, like the tension of this. So I'm not sure if he shows up. These issues all kind of blur together because they are really one long story. So I'm not sure he does show up eventually in like menace, the fantastic four and kind of handily defeat them. Yeah, um, so we should mention that Fantastic Four 57 through Fantastic Four 60, which yes. are the issues we're covering here, they're really all one story. This is yeah. all Doctor Doom stealing Silver Surfer's power story. Yeah, just to mention what else is happening in this issue, we get the scene of Johnny Storm and Wyatt Wingfoot are off with Lockjaw, the teleporting inhuman dog, and they are teleporting around the universe with Lockjaw, trying to find a way to get into the inhuman city so that Johnny and Crystal can be reunited, but to no avail. Um, and the other little side plot going on is that in the domed city of the Inhumans, Black Bolt is sick or injured, and he's lying in bed. Uh, the Inhumans are all around him worrying, and Maximus comes in and starts hinting that, why haven't we heard Black Bolt speak? There's a reason for it. I know, like, why Black Bolt doesn't speak, but he can, and everyone's surprised because they just assumed that he was mute and couldn't speak, and this leads to some bigger mystery of why Black Bolt doesn't talk. Just... Good. It's good build up, and it is interesting why he hasn't spoken before. Yeah, I think I wrote in in Fantastic Four number fifty nine. I had this note, but um, I, I wish there was a Tales of Inhumans backup, a yeah. la Tales of Asgard. Like it's, it does feel kind of shunted in. Well, it is. It's it's kind of out of place, and I I don't know. I don't necessarily mind Fantastic Four like giving space to to developing the Inhumans, um, but it doesn't fit the Fantastic Four narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I almost wish like, all right, if you're going to flesh out this world, like really do it as opposed yeah. to these sort of narrative beats that don't really add to this story. Um, yeah, sure. Or, or this no, magazine. No, they definitely don't. Yeah. 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 Just two pages per issue. We just get to see what's going on with the Inhumans. Yeah. And don't, don't the Inhumans get their own backup in Thor this year? The, if not this year, then soon. Yeah. I think it's coming. this year. Because yeah. those, those have historically not been in Marvel Unlimited. I want to say. Um, so I mm-hmm. actually have kind of a blind spot when it comes to those original backups. Yeah. Uh, and uh, okay. So we end <laughs> we end up with Dr. Doom flying off. Fantastic Four knows that they are defeated. And Dr. Doom is, you know, doing one of these like, oh, it's so easy to defeat you. I, I don't even need to bother finishing you off. Like, I'm just going to go back and destroy the world while you just watch and you can't do anything. And that's the ultimate victory. We have a letter here at the end. I really like. Dear Stan and Jack, to quote a fantastic... To quote a fan in Fantastic Four 54, I can't hold back it no longer. I'm a housewife with a two-month-old baby, and I've yet to see any representation of us females other than Sue and Alicia on your letters page. And of course, the bullpen. Is this because I'm the only avid female fan of you, of yours, or are you prejudiced against the opposite sex? If you're prejudiced, I'm afraid you'll lose one of your most devoted fans. And then she goes on. But, uh, I just, I like someone, a woman writing in to point out that, like, hey, your female characters suck. Like, give us a little bit more, which is definitely true. Yeah, I actually read this letter aloud. Uh, it's funny you called it out to my wife when I saw it. Um, I particularly liked <laughs> that, you know, she has Fantastic Four magazines and her husband has fishing. Oh, God, yeah, that's a really funny detail. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought that was pretty awesome. So, yeah, fans fans of all types, certainly in this era. That brings us to Fantastic Four number 58. It's titled The Dismal Dregs of Defeat. And if you hadn't gathered already, Doom with Cosmic Powers is a bit more than the FF uh, really can handle. I did make a note here that, you know, this is 
credited as a Stan and Jack powerhouse production. So the credits have actually stopped listing, you know, Stan story, Jack art, and now they're just a dual production. Uh, you'll see that basically throughout this year that anytime their names are together, they're a production. I think knowing how this plays out, it's probably a little too late to be like super jointly giving credits, but it's clearly an effort um, on the part of probably like Stan had the ultimate say in that. So the story begins with Dr. Doom freaking out uh, the Fantastic Four with an electrical mirage. And I just had to note, I really love when Doom pranks the Fantastic Four. Like <laughs> he's done this a few times throughout the years where he just sort of scares them or weirds them out or makes them uncertain of themselves. Um, and it always kind of tickles me because it's not, he, he has the power cosmic right now. He could just fly over and beat the stuffing out of him. But his initial reaction is like, yeah, I'm going to mess with these guys. That, that's fine when it comes to the Fantastic Four. There comes a time later where, like, he's like, time for world domination. And then there's just a vignette of him going out and pulling pranks on people. And it's like, it does feel, it loses some momentum for me. But we'll, we'll get to that. Doom's, I, I think part of that's just like, oh, we're showing off his powers. I, yeah. If you actually wanted to no prize it, like when we read his origins in FF Annual 2, he's kind of a prankster. Yeah, he was just going around, like, selling prank gifts to people yeah 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 no i i thought that that the like that is consistent with his character that he just kind of likes being like cruel in creative ways mm -hmm. but yeah it's ultimately pretty ineffective now nah, modern doom is a huge johnny knoxville fan and nobody <laughs> nobody understands it <laughs> just i just had a, a little flash image of dr doom in a, a shopping cart like rolling down a hill <laughs> with his cape billowing behind him <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, I, I'd like to call that out. I also call out on page five of this issue, uh, Stan Lee calls himself out for cliched dialogue, which yes, I so really funny. loved. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny, you know. Again, like you said, you know, it's Marvel Year Six, and it, and that could be wrong. So we'll we'll get it right when we list the episode. I'm not big on counting, um, but basically, Stan writes, you know, kind of a cliched little action piece of dialogue and then he calls himself on it in a note so i love i love the meta component of having it totally takes you out of the issue and makes you think about the person creating it which is the intent um but it's also like it's a wink and a nod to say listen i know this is how i write i also know some of you might find it kind of silly and not you know the highest literary uh, ambitions you've ever seen uh -huh. yeah. so it's it's dual threat and it's it's pretty fun it's part of the reason i like Stan writing dialogue in this era and just his overall persona, I think. He's getting generally pretty good at the dialogue. Like, I'm really starting to enjoy it. And he's, I don't know, I'm not sure really what the difference is. It's not like he's writing that much less dialogue. But his his dialogue is becoming a little bit less, like, just stereotypical, like, old serial radio announcer. Like, he, he has his own style that he's cultivating. And it's becoming a little bit more unique and fun to read. And it flows better. Mm -hmm. like i generally just enjoyed it more and i felt find myself skimming less yeah no there, there's better jokes i think at this point too. oh yeah yeah like he's just become a better joke writer are you going to talk about ben Grimm's ghost stories yeah so so next we get uh this this whole section made me laugh out loud um yeah. ben is is genuinely scared by reading ghost stories 
And I love these little <laughs> moments of Ben's, like he's this big, strong monster. But, you know, we've seen things like he's he's got little Mike Fright getting on the telephone or he's reading ghost stories and he's like really, really hit <laughs> by these stories. So he's hitting there. And then, of course, as he's, you know, freaked out about the possibility of a ghost, uh, Dr. Doom shows up to attack the team at their home. So Oh, wait, can I say, okay, so actually he's reading a ghost story and Reed comes up to like to talk to him and he puts a hand on his shoulder and this is the most like Looney Tunes-esque setup for a joke. So Reed's hand is on his shoulder and Ben Grimm says, I don't remember nothing on my shoulder when I started reading. And then the next panel cuts to him like screaming in terror, running away. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good comedy. Doom attacks and he basically his power is off the charts here. So he turns Ben into a living statue. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny goes hard trying to turn up the heat so Reed and Sue can escape. You want to rephrase that? <laughs> and come up plant. Johnny gets so hard. <laughs> um, take it take it again. <laughs> no, he's he's like using all of his power and he's like basically on the verge of <laughs> of bursting. Uh, he's basically on the verge <laughs> of going nova. <laughs> he talks about going supernova, which is another supernova. thing we, But he says like if I do this I'll flatten the city, which is a new little wrinkle like they kind of turn johnny into like an atomic bomb right yeah which is interesting before it was just like a normal bomb (laughs) and now they're saying it as if like he has the power to you know level new york city yeah uh johnny johnny 60s run is i I would actually like and maybe this has been done a little i would like um some modern takes on like like what happened to his power set you know because like it really gets walked back Mm -hmm. eventually where now we just think of the human torch as like yeah he's a guy in fire he flies around like he's definitely useful but he's not Mm. like he's not like thor you know or somebody like devastating so it is kind of interesting how he got walked back um so anyway this story ends with reed he basically feigns defeat um and i say feigns kind of lightly there because they did get (laughs) defeated like dr doom has won here he just stops fighting yeah and uh he basically he really makes the effort to make Dr. Doom think he's the complete and total victor. You know, he kind of humbles himself before Doom and Doom realizing he could, you know, snuff them out with but a wish uh, says, no, of course, classic supervillain. It'll be better to humiliate you by seeing, um, by letting you see, you know, all of my, all of my world conquering and also to know that I could come and take you out anytime and just let you live in that fear. Yeah. That's the real victory is the, the, the moral victory or the, (laughs) The immoral victory, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I was wrong thinking that any of that happened. The Doom didn't show up in the last issue. It was all here in this one. So that moves us into number 59. And I think at this point, at the beginning of this issue, I was thinking, this is doing a really good job of building the tension, Mm -hmm. right? Like, establishing Doom as a big threat and, like, letting it sink in, which is something that I think they've had a problem with in the past is sometimes not letting, like... These threats really build to a point where you can feel the enormity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Right? But you see here that like they don't know what to do. They've been defeated. Like we have, to, it, they just let the let the the menace breathe. That gets undercut a little bit by Doctor Doom flies back to his castle. He spends half this issue like in his castle, just flexing his powers. Yeah, <laughs> and right. He goes to to torture the Silver Surfer. Goes into his cell and just kicks him a bunch uh, and mocks him. He leaves. I actually found those scenes kind of um, surprising. I think having not remembered them, like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think of Doom being as we talked about the Red Skull being super cruel, and I don't necessarily think of Doom being that, even though I should. 
you know, it's like it's like I like him and I've seen this sort of modern complexity and, and that nobility, but it's like at the end of the day, he sucks. <laughs> you know? It's like and and I lose sight of that because he's a really fun villain. Um, but him kicking like the help of Silver Surfer is kinda like, oh man, <laughs> dude, why are you so mean? You know? Yeah, yeah. So he I, I my note here says Doom is really burning my goodwill. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. Been, he, he's been oh well not not with that, with the fact that he actually becomes less evil. <laughs> I feel like he gets built up so much as this big threat and then the rest of this issue is him flying around just like he's like time to go out for my world domination and then he goes out to uh he goes to some tropical island and is like hmm this weather looks nice no it's cold now and then he flies off uh he goes into the jungle now he's in full prank war mode yeah right he goes to the jungle and he's like look at that a normal gorilla nope now you're a big mean red gorilla that's gonna menace people like just just little like stuff that's basically like I'm going to go inconvenience people 30 at a time. <laughs> it goes to a bakery and just says, oh, sugar? No, salt. Like, <laughs> it's, it's such low-stakes yeah. stuff for someone who, like, they've basically established that he has not quite, quite like Thanos Infinity War powers, but not that far off. He can just pull up mountains out of the ground. And... Oh, man. Can you imagine this? the... 20 minute cut of infinity war where thanos is just like this monkey's tall now the weather's super cold take that yeah 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 well i mean it, yeah it's that scene where uh he just like unravels the guardians of the galaxy or cubes them for a mm-hmm. second but that's all he's interested in yeah he's right. just doing that and then undoing it and then doing it again just you know um god those scenes are horrifying i was like that stuff always creeps me out people being disassembled and like that it always scares the heck out of me yeah so back with the fantastic four reed richards is kind of pouting because he doesn't see a way out of this he thinks that doom basically is undefeatable ben Grimm starts antagonizing him and mocking him for being for giving up and being a weakling which is pretty funny and they start fighting they start brawling yeah and in the middle of it reed richards is like like he gets all riled up he's like I'll show you, Ben, and I'll show Dr. Doom. And he stomps off to his laboratory to start working on a, a way to defeat Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. which is a pretty fun way of, like, ben, ben understanding Reed Richards' psychology enough to, he knows exactly what buttons to press to get him get him back on track and get him out of his slump. Yeah, I do. Li- we talked about, you know, I really like when uh, Johnny and Sue get to be brother and sister, and I also really like when Ben and Reed get to be, like, friends in, in these moments Who where understand you're like, each other. oh, they, they know each other. Uh, like really mm-hmm. well you know even yeah. though here they're ben's clearly purposely antagonizing him it's like it, it displays a level of um of intimacy because he knows what's going to work with reed mm-hmm, for sure and so we see ultimately the end result of reed's experiments which he just holds up it's like a bat glider <laughs> and it's so anticlimactic and it's again one of those like kirby machine things just this complicated thing but it just looks like a, a bat that's like three feet wide and he throws it at Ben Grimm, and it hits Ben Grimm, and Ben Grimm is like, oh, I feel pretty weak. And Reed Richards is like, haha, it works. And it's so, it feels so lame. It's just like the most, I don't know, nothing of a solution. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it felt pretty ridiculous for that to be the, the thing that he comes up with. Well, that, that'll play into the story, yeah. It will, and you know, I'll say it, it actually like kind of subverted my expectations, and I, I ended up same. liking it. Yeah. I, I liked how this played out, but at this point, I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. Because right. they have played that, like, 
I, I built a ray that will sap his power, and that's the solution. Yeah, and, you know, it is one of the problems of writing Reed, which I appreciate that they're already tackling, which is, mm-hmm. do we just have him build something that solves every problem? Because right. if yeah. he's the that's genius, what it felt like. right, and he can just create whatever, if given enough time, like every time we have the villain fly away, and he just gets as much time like that is obviously going to set him up to build the thing that takes down the villain um mm-hmm. and i think they've done it a couple of times where he like he actually doesn't do that like we saw it with doom with the um the hypnosis machine uh oh geez mm-hmm. i wish i could remember the actual the, the actual encephalo gun? Name. what is it the encephalo gun the encephalo gun yeah yeah same yeah. kind of thing where he like it actually wasn't a winner take all type machine it was a trick and i like yeah. when reed has to resort to tricks yeah yeah uh, the other things that are going on this issue, Johnny Storm is out practicing his flying and flame powers, <laughs> and he practices them against the Air Force. Like, he just flies over an Air Force base and tries to dodge their missiles when they fire at him. But, I mean, they don't know. They're not in on the joke. But With uh, with in-laws in the Air Force, let me tell you, Air Force airmen... Would love it. Love jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they, love they love flying, fiery jokes. Yes. They love fake uh, military threats yep. yeah yeah he looks pretty cool though johnny storm got this really cool shot of him looking very angry and they've been doing this thing of him being half flamed on or half flamed off where the, the flames are still like licking at his skin but he's not in full flame on mode it's a pretty cool effect it's a nice little kinetic um, thing too you know when you have a still panel to be like he's still in the process of changing yeah 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 uh the other thing happening with the inhumans and i really like this Black Bolt is feeling better, and he flies to the center of the city. And this this is getting to the, the fact that the Inhumans are ruled by someone who doesn't speak, right? So he flies to the, the center of the city, and he's standing up on this platform in front of, front of the whole population. <laughs> and people in the crowd are saying, Black Bolt takes the stance which denotes impending disaster. We dare not avert our eyes. We must be attentive to every signal, every silent command. And he's just standing, legs spread, arms up. <laughs> here's here's an image i have not seen that i would now love to see it's like um you know how like street signs you know you take that test to get your driver's license i want to mm-hmm. see the inhumans version of that which is just black bolt power stances and all the different <laughs> associated meanings man that would be a cool little touch in an inhumans it's funny because he does a couple different stances like he does this just arms in the air and everyone's like oh it's disaster and then he points in a direction and he's saying we must evacuate the city into the shelters. And I feel like I would love a thought bubble of Black Belt, Black Bolt saying like, no, that was the stance for celebration. And I was pointing to the party place. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was thinking the same thing. Like he sneezes and everyone's like, no, this is it. And he's like, oh shoot, no. Yeah, I'm going to start practicing my, uh, my power stances like this, seeing if I can D- denote complex things just from standing with my legs yeah we'll apart. do we'll do 67 part two entirely through power stances and we will not <laughs> videotape it <laughs> oh yeah he also i like there's a moment black bolt i think like stances his approval <laughs> What's mm-hmm. Happening? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah it's all very funny but it's pretty silly but it still kind of works for me like black bolt's just cool i'm, I'm still just being in the black bolt i uh, i'm always on board for black bolt yeah Cool, cool. So the issue wraps up in Fantastic Four number 60. This is titled The Peril and the Power, a slightly better title, I would say. This is Stan, Mm -hmm. Jack, Joe, and Sam Rosen. Uh, Again, aiming with your point here, I wrote down, Doom is disappointingly aimless (laughs) to this point. He just doesn't, he's got all this power and he's like, he doesn't know what to do with it. And actually, when I think about it, 
this kind of holds it holds some weight it holds a little bit of water with uh with the doom that will come to know where like when he actually gets all the power that he's been craving it's it's kind of too easy for him and he almost messes around with it um because that he gets kind of bored you know it's like he, he, i think he i wish that came across i i feel like it doesn't come out here generous. yeah yeah that that would be really cool and interesting if like you know he it's that uh that joker thing of you know i'm a dog chasing a car i wouldn't know what to do if i got it like yeah yeah it, right then he actually gets it and he has no idea yeah it's i'm adding that on i think yeah. that it, it doesn't actually come out in this issue um he basically the power cosmic is you know it's basically a cosmic cube i mean he can yeah. just the way they're using it right now which yeah. i don't think of i don't think of the surfer's power set being exactly that um no as no it develops. It's, it's, when the silver surfer is fighting he's not this powerful <laughs> at least right. we haven't seen so far yeah uh, it's not just like a wish a wish cube like uh, like the cosmic cube but anyway um the black panther sends fantastic for a ship so we get some wakandan intervention which i kind of yep. appreciate um it's, it's yeah, like just, a small at, at least note. reminding you that that's still around yeah uh and and again like i would one element i like there is it makes sense that T'Challa wouldn't intervene directly because that would spark a war between Wakanda and Latveria, but oh, he yeah. would, you know, sneak a ship to the Fantastic Four. So basically the FF, they come and they're finally going to get this big battle with Dr. Doom in Latveria. Um, ben gets a, a Spider-Man final chapter moment fighting, you know, this overpowered cosmic Doom oh, it's where good. he clearly can't win by strength alone. Nonetheless, he won't go down and he won't stay down. And obviously we, or I should say, I like AMS 33. It's a bullet but... straight for your heart, right? <laughs> what? Uh, anytime someone just fights to their, you know. Yes. To, to the very last drop. Uh, that, that's Dave Bate. Yeah, yeah, totally. And this is this is one of my favorite Ben ones. Um, it's especially kind of brutal because the last time we saw Ben fight Doom one-on-one, he really humiliated Doom and crushed he his cr- hands. He, yeah, and Doom calls back to that, which is, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate that sort of history the two have together. Uh, coming through here we do get a nice moment on page 13 of this issue where the watcher zach you'll like this actually avoids interfering i feel like it's literally the very first time yeah that he has he has held himself back but i like that uh he just gets distracted by some monkeys it's because something happens yeah <laughs> yeah he, he's really intent on this and he's like oh should i should i do something should i not and then he's like Oh, what's happening over here? Oh, some monkeys just evolved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, I'll go check that out and I'll see what happens to Earth later. Yeah, so it leaves Fantastic Four on their own. Um, and this is where we get the Reed trick. Uh, he So his invention swoops in and it's basically this big boomerang looking thing. And it swoops out of the sky, I think, courtesy of the Air Force. Oh, it's it's the size of like... It's like the size of a jet plane now. Like the the little one he had before was a prototype. Okay, so it's the, much the bigger. Air, he says the Air Force, the Air Force came through in time. They built me mm-hmm. exactly to my specifications. Yeah, so it it flies after Doom, and uh, it kind of looks like it misses, <laughs> sort of. But yeah. it basically, it's, it keeps flying, and Doom chases after it. You know, thinking I got to take out this Reed invention. And the trick here is Doom chases the invention into space, where he doesn't realize the power cosmic cannot go beyond because of the mm-hmm. barrier galactus set up to keep the silver surfer trapped on earth so that is the is the way that they get the power cosmic out of doom who we do not see 
at the end of this issue. Presumably, he just falls to his doom. I, I, wrote, I wrote down, Dave must love that Doom vanishes. Because yep. you, you're such a big fan of any time this ends I, with Dr. Doom just being seemingly gone forever. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's another classic instance of Doom totally disappearing. The power mm-hmm. cosmic, we realize, has returned to the Silver Surfer. Like, everything wraps up. We talked about this a lot in the early issues. Like, how's this story going to end? They only have a page left. This does it so fast. It's, yeah. it's wild, given how long it took to get here. Um but yeah, that's that's where the issue ends. I thought ends. this resolution was okay. Like yeah. I didn't see it coming, and it didn't feel like a total. It like made logical sense with what the. I mean, if if I was being nitpicky, I could say like he would just bounce off the atmosphere the same as the Silver Surfer does. But you could also make an argument that Doom would just keep flying, and then his power would revert. So I, I like it makes sense. Like they've set this up. It yeah, I'm not. Un- sure, I'm not unexpected. sure the barrier thing holds a ton of water, given that we've seen the Silver Surfer or we'll yeah, see the Silver it, Surfer it's crash close into enough, it. It's fine. You know? like, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. So pretty good. Fantastic Four. I liked. Honestly, I liked this a lot more than the Galactus Saga. I like this story a lot. <laughs> this, yeah. 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 This was very good. That moves us into Avengers number thirty-eight. Okay. So as usual, the Avengers are in fighting. Um. We've got Goliath, Hank Pym, and Hawkeye fighting over Black Widow, who apparently is looking to join the Avengers. So since last time we saw her, she's defected and is trying to... She's defected, but also, like, she was brainwashed, right? That was the... Yeah, so the the reason it makes even a lick of sense that Black Widow might join the Avengers is she she claims she was brainwashed, and we do know this to be true, um, for mm-hmm. her sort of villainous actions, and then she also uh, kind of helped save the team's life in a previous issue. Yep. So... Hawkeye, who's in love with her, is arguing that she should be able to join. Goliath is against it. And Captain America gets in the middle of this fight, and we kind of get a little fun. Captain America chucks his shield. I think Goliath catches it, and Quicksilver intervenes, and it turns into this whole big thing. You know, there's an interesting there's an interesting note in there, too, about, like, Goliath catching the shield, is they talk about how fast his reflexes are, which is yeah, the which is... opposite of how I think of Goliath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if that's going <laughs> to keep playing into this. Or even that he's super strong. Like, I think he's he looks like he's strong for somebody who's that size. But I don't picture him being, like, Hulk strong or something. But that's kind of how they've been characterizing him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, um, basically, they decide that they're going to take a vote. They're going to have a, a, a charter meeting and decide whether or not the Black Widow can join. And they're waiting for her to show up, but she's nowhere to be seen because she gets grabbed by Nick Fury's men. And Nick Fury basically says, in order to prove your loyalty to the United States and that you're not a double agent, I need you to do a mission for me behind the bamboo curtain. Which, not sure if that's a racist phrase or not, but... <laughs> I'm not sure that's like even a thinking, phrase. <laughs> oh, oh, they say it a lot here. You know, instead of really? behind the iron curtain, it's bamboo curtain for communist Asia. I had, um, Yeah, I had never heard it until I read this. I didn't bother looking I, it up. Um, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so that's, if you're unfamiliar with that hey it's gonna come up a bunch here <laughs> yeah yeah um i do i do actually like the development here of black widow ties to nick fury and shield i think this yeah. is this is a version of the character that i've been more familiar with throughout time um the, the idea that she is like working at the behest of fury and you kind of never know her true allegiances you know so right. like is she is she with the avengers is she doing something on behalf of fury like there's always this sort of intrigue with her sure and that carries over to the movies as well yeah she basically is she doesn't look that interesting and she's not that interesting at this point i don't like her costume at all like how long do we have to live with this like it's it's really bad she's just got the biggest grandma hair she's got these <laughs> like 
Yeah, I don't know. It it looks very old fashioned. It looks a lot think, like you know. This might be a poll question, but I wonder whose costume, whose sixties costume is like the least representative of how we think of the character today. Yeah, you know, so like Daredevil yeah, Yellow for a few issues, um, Black Widow, Grandma Hair, <laughs> like, Goliath, like Goliath, look yeah, like what yeah. you think of, yeah. Anyway, um, so <laughs> there's another big fight. Hawkeye quits the Avengers. And Janet Van Dyne decides to go with him, not to quit, but they, just to go out with him for Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. Um, we cut to God, this, epi- this episode. This issue is all over the place. It cuts to Hercules, <laughs> Greek god Hercules, who's fighting Ares, god of war. And they're in the middle of this battle. In the middle of it, the Enchantress shows up from Asgard, who, have we talked about her here yet? I've talked about her in extra We've issues. we talked about Enchantress. She was in a previous Avengers issue. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, a she's a little bit like a Loki figure in Asgard, but she uses her feminine wiles a lot more, and she's more magically powerful. She's pretty interesting, generally, uh, but she shows up and offers both of them a toast, but Hercules' drink is drugged, and she's working with Ares to banish Hercules. Um, Hercules gets brainwashed by Enchantress, and she sends him to fight the Avengers. Uh, we just get a big fight of Hercules showing up on Earth, fighting the Avengers, Everyone but the Wasp and Hawkeye are there, and they all get their butts handed to them. <laughs> Though, I like the, um, there's a very funny moment here where Hawkeye and Janet are, keep calling him Hawkeye, what's his real name? Clint. Clint and Janet are at a Chinese restaurant, and they keep getting a call over their, you know, Avengers, Avengers wristwatch. I don't remember how they get, what it is, saying that they need help, and Hawkeye's like, Ah, I forget them. They don't need anything. They they'd call for you know a, a bee loose in the house, mm-hmm. and and Janet says, "Well, I guess that's fair. We just left. How much trouble could they get into?" And then the panel cuts to the enchantress yelling, "The very molecules surrounding you are now electrified." They have a very good. <laughs> they've been doing a lot of those like smash cuts between, yeah. you know, somebody setting up like, "What's the worst that could happen?" and then cutting to the worst that could happen. Anyway, the wasp and Hawkeye do show up at the last minute to save. The Avengers from Hercules because he's about to start killing them all. Hawkeye shoots a sulfur arrow at him, which is like, why do you have that one in your quiver? I guess it's like a stink bomb. Trick arrows, man. You gotta have you gotta have one for every occasion. But then it's like there's this whole thing where sulfur reminds Hercules of brimstone and it snaps him out of his brainwashing and it feels like nothing. Like it's just totally arbitrary and nonsense. But it breaks him out of it. And I don't know. You ever been brainwashed and smell a rotten egg? It really brings you back. Yeah, that's true. I guess I can't speak to that experience. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Hercules gets his power back. Uh, Enchantress flees back to Asgard. All this has been to show that Odin, um, not Odin, Zeus shows up and, or his his image shows up and basically says to Hercules, like, how dare you attack Earth? You're behaving badly. You're banished to Earth for one year. And that's kind of how this ends. With Hercules getting, like, room and board at the Avengers Mansion. So, I I don't know. Did you just put this one in to show, like, some... Uh, this, I feel like this this is a reoccurring segment I want to do, which is, like, why'd you do it, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, not not always because they're bad, though sometimes, but sometimes just because I'm curious. Like, I, I don't see what's special about this one. So, I, I would say that Avengers... I've, I've said this before. I don't really like Avengers comics oh, during yeah, this no. time period. No, not um, very good. I, I like the Avengers as they are now. Please please do not take away from this that the Avengers stink. 
that they're a bad concept, but these comics aren't very good. I, I The ones I try to add into the reading list generally have some sort of bigger picture development that uh, will be important for the team moving forward. So in this case, one, it's like, well, it's we got to read an Avengers issue. And also, I like the Black Widow Fury Shield connections. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of – and just like her her having a role on the Avengers roster I think mm-hmm. is important. And then this will actually take us into you know the next issue, which we don't need to discuss like a ton of because it's genuinely bad. Like it is it's... genuinely a bad comic. This is Avengers Annual number one. And let me, let me just first address – the reason I include it is because it sort of brings Hercules into the um, Avengers roster like – you know what? I, I remember not liking Hercules and thinking that it was kind of dumb. Like, for whatever reason, I gave Thor and Asgard a pass, but when mm-hmm. like, Hercules and the Greek gods came in, I was like, oh, this seems kind of forced. I really like him. Like, he's generally yeah. been pretty fun, and his inclusion, I, I liked this time. Yeah, I think Hercules is actually a really good um, Avengers edition because he's he's very similar to Thor, but he also has so much personality that mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be able to play with. Um, and he's an on-again, off-again Avenger, so he is important. I do... So, all right, let's get into the issue. You got your boy, Power Man, on the cover. And I did... Uh, I looked, So, the last time we talked about Power Man, I had no recognition you got schooled. Yep. of him. Yeah, yeah, right. I got taken to Power <laughs> Man school. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I was confusing him with just, like, a renaming of Wonder Man. So, I looked it up. It turns out he's actually... He's the way I know him is his Atlas uh, when he is a member of the Thunderbolts. So he will go on to have a actually somewhat lengthier uh, Marvel Comics like history than I was even aware. He's also from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So Wisconsinites represent. Cool. <laughs> I have yeah. nothing to say to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. We, we, there's not a ton to brush over. There's a few funny moments here at the beginning. Yeah. Which is like Tony Stark is at a prison. There's this guy called the Living Laser, which he just uses lasers, right? Is that his? He's, thing? he's a big laser, big laser. He's guy. a big laser guy. Okay. Um, he basically was smuggled in some laser parts. Tony Stark is there to present his new like prison prisoner control system, which is electrified floors, which is pretty upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's... Prison reform. This is not no. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, th- this just shows. Tony Stark is a big part of the prison industrial complex, and he's just like, oh, this reduces, <laughs> this will send the shareholders' value through the roof. Anyway, so the the thing I wanted to point out here, Living Laser tries to escape. Tony Stark runs out to his car and changes into Iron his Iron Man suit in the car, which is pretty funny in and of itself. Like, I'd like to see that played out over the course of six panels, mm-hmm. <laughs> him struggling to get his boots on, just sitting in the driver's seat. The thrust of this is that the Mandarin is gathering his own little supervillain team of Power Man, the Swordsman, who we know as Hawkeye's old mentor. I, I don't know why he's his mentor. Like, he doesn't even fire a bow and arrow. He's got a sword. Um, the Enchantress and the Executioner and the Living Laser. And I just want to call out, Mandarin's looking a little better. Like, his outfit yeah. doesn't look that better, but he it doesn't look like he's wearing swim goggles anymore. Yeah. And that cap doesn't look quite so sleazy. Right. So, I... I genuinely do not want to talk about this issue anymore <laughs> other than to say it sets up a bunch of it sets up a bunch of two-on-two battles um and, yeah. and one thing i'll call it here is like it's a chaptered you know two avengers versus two villains approach and this is something we'll actually see uh carry through like big sort of avengers events i think of later the avengers defenders war takes a very similar structure uh, okay. in the early 70s so it's 
it's got a flavor that isn't like the worst idea. There are some fun maybe moments throughout it, but it's just a big battle comic that ends with the Mandarin as the big bad. Yeah, the, the things I wanted to call out is right at the beginning, the Avengers are hearing news about this this gathering of the super villains, and Captain America says, "Ah, oh, well, since um, they're like they're talking about each super villain," and he says, "Yes, I fought the Swordsman and Power Man. Lost track of them since I defeated them." Just reminds me that like. At least a third of the time when they quote quote unquote defeat a supervillain, they just knock them unconscious and then I feel like Captain America just walks away. <laughs> That's how he loses track. <laughs> like he beat up swordsman and then just left him sitting in like the construction site where Nah, Cap Cap definitely calls the cops. No, I could see Hawkeye doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean like a, a lot of these they don't even manage to try to they don't even pretend that they've been in prison and they escaped. It's just like Yes, last time we defeated them and the last time you saw them they were tied up. And then, you know, six months later, they just appear in an issue. And it's like, yeah, that seems like they just kind of left them sitting on the ground and they <laughs> yeah, they walked away. Um, the only the only really fun one of these is uh, in South America. Uh, the Mandarin is threatening this huge futuristic South American city by just dangling an enormous sword over the city. That's like basically a si- skyscraper. <laughs> that one's actually really cool. Um... That one's pretty fun. And we get a shot of Goliath, right? No, Iron Man. We get a cool shot of Iron Man like planting himself in the ground and holding, holding his sword up as it yeah. like presses him down into the ground, which is fun. Though, this is something. This is the first time I've seen some Kirby work. Wait, no, this is not Kirby. This is Don Heck. This is one of the, you brought this up where you're just starting to see like blank backgrounds mm-hmm. um, behind these action shots, and this one is full of it, and it makes it really boring. Like you yeah. just get a, a solid color background with some action lines drawn in it, and it's it's pretty dull. And no, also, you don't like, want a 50 issue comic to feel like they're just trying to get the 50 issues done, <laughs> and that's for the 50 pages, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's how it feels. It feels like reading yeah. 50 issues, actually. God, I, I the first thing I did when I pulled this up and saw it was 53 pages is I went to the like the huge page view to see like, well, at least the last 20 pages of this will just be like pinups, right? And it's like every page is story. And I just, I, I reconsidered this entire project of ours. <laughs> that made me really think. Um, that being said, there's a pinup at the very end that's pretty cool. That's like a side-by-side comparison of the originals Avengers lineup versus the lineup now. That is like a very cool hero shot of both teams. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't enjoy reading this again, but I, I do think it's a kind of, it is kind of important. Like it's, it's clearly an event sized issue. It's the first annual also for Avengers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's written by Roy uh, Thomas, think... which is, you know, he's going to be the Avengers guy sort of from here, from here on into the, uh, into the future. So it's, it's got some historical like it's, weight. It's pretty skippable though. Like, uh, listen, if happens. you're strapped for time, skip Avengers annual number one. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, compared to this, this is actually this brings into um, contrast what I was saying about the Fantastic Four, where there's no buildup here. It's literally just like here's a bunch of heroes or here's a bunch of villains, and now they're just threatening a city. And this was built up in two pages. They burst into the Mandarin's lair, and he says, "Here, look at this weapon that I will use to destroy the Earth." And then they have two pages to stop it, right? Like, there's no buildup. It doesn't feel real. Like, I'm not really worried that he's gonna do what I don't even remember what he was gonna do. He's got a big diamond. It's dumb. But, like, there's no build-up to it. It doesn't feel like any kind of actual danger because they just just keep throwing it at you and give you no time to, like, let the actual implications sink in. Right. Anyway, yeah, that that's the, like, the least we've talked about the plot on the longest issue so far. And it was still too much. <laughs> yeah, I know you want to just, like, skim over it. I thought there were a couple points to, to bring up, but... No, there... 
no, what, <laughs> what you brought up was fun stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm more criticizing the issue. Um, yeah. Okay, that that takes us to our next comic, which was Daredevil number twenty six. God, the real nadir of this episode. Yeah, right. Like I wanted to save the best stuff for right in the middle. And uh, no, this I, is wait, wait. Am I totally misunderstanding? I thought nadir was the the pits. Is that the peak? I, here's the thing: if you use a word I don't know what it means, then I'm just going to take it to mean the compliment that I want it to be. <laughs> I have to look this up. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, so this is written by Stan Lee, got Gene Colon art, which definitely does make it a little more worthwhile, and Artie Simek. Um, here are the things I want to call out about this. One, this issue is really fun. Two, you get – this is our introduction to fun-loving uh, made-up twin of Matt Murdock, Mike Murdock. The Mike Murdock it. saga is one of so the much. weirdest, one of the quirkiest, strangest Silver Age things you will find <gasps> in Marvel. Basically, what happens here is Matt um, – He's trying to figure out how to carry on his secret identity, right? And mm-hmm. he doesn't want the world to know that he is Daredevil. So he invents a twin named Mike Murdock who carries on basically per, like somewhat publicly to Karen and Foggy that he is in fact Daredevil. So it's crazy. And and Mike is like where Matt is sort of stodgy and stoic and a good lawyer. Uh, Mike is fun-loving and wild and also wears shades all the in time, all the ways coincidentally. That, like- a, a, a sideshow carny or fun-loving and wild like he's just a non-stop like i don't know he just his energy levels are through the roof and he, i find him exhausting <laughs> he is fun to read i would not want to be in a room with mike Murdock. i don't even think he's fun to read like he just reads as like very like he just comes in and starts like pinching foggy's belly and like yeah it, you know like sw- swooping down karen like picking her up and whirling her around i mean i don't even know if he literally does that but that's the like the tone of him is just like this this guy who's just like he's gonna put his finger on your chin and say hey what's that and you look down and he flicks your nose like that I, is i just... always think of him coming into the room like robin williams yes you know? oh just yeah like he totally has that burst. like exhausting robin williams vibe yeah that's a perfect comparison and and it's just like this is matt murdoch like this is what this is really who he wants to be, but he feels like he can't because it also feels like he's doing it because it gives him a way to not be the blind guy in the yeah. room, right? He wears shades, so and you know he just walks around like he normally does, and people don't think he's blind. So this is actually I wrote down um, uh, for the next issue, Daredevil thirty that we read, but uh, like Matt's got like multiple personality, um, like complexes going on at this point in his yeah. career, and he's. Like, it's wild, the the personas that he takes on um, it, as, like, how do I want to say this? Um, like, in daily life, like, he is, we all sort of put on uh, different faces, you know, in different situations and things like that. But Matt is literally pretending to be other people for long stretches of time yeah. uh, to the point where it's it's sort of like, this is this is a guy with um, with a lot more going on. <laughs> in his head than say peter parker who's just trying to protect his secret identity yeah yeah they they start to kind of bring that in a little bit with him him talking about like he he mentions him as, as an aside something like oh i've got so many identities to juggle mm-hmm. maybe i belong in the, the nut house and then they move on but let, that'd be interesting i just hate matt murdoch or not matt uh <laughs> i hate mike murdoch so much that like i just can't get on board with this idea uh, um all right. Well, like again, 
stop like dancing around it who's who's the villain of this issue okay so yeah so this issue matt uh (laughs) matt actually is taking on the trial of the leapfrog who is a a villain that daredevil had locked up who as you might guess from his name can jump real good cool (laughs) uh, there i do like in the trial they are oj gloving leapfrog with his leaping boots that's pretty funny like they're basically like if the boot fits he must acquit and or i guess that would be wrong but anyway he must not acquit yeah um so they like have him try on these things and he's like oh cool you just put me in my super powered villain boots i'm out of here and he leaps out of the trial and who should catch him but his breakout partner in crime the one and only Stiltman. i wrote i have one note here for this issue and it just says this issue is an act of violence i quit <laughs> I, like, actually, I feel like I actually this, genuinely like this issue this feels I think it's like really the fun. most this feels like the most evidence that um i'm living in a simulation mm-hmm. and that when you created my marvelous year initially it was specifically directed towards like it, it this to is torture you. for me because of sins that i have committed and mm-hmm. this was this was planted uh here years ago in order for this exact moment to punish me yeah you're not wrong um but still still man does have a funny thing here where like last time we saw him he was shrinking into the quantum realm (laughs) and they cut to that i was gonna say like are they just not gonna address this they're just gonna move on like he's back yeah but they they show and he's shrinking and he's shrinking and then eventually it's like it wore off and he comes back yeah (laughs) that's all there is to it and i love i do love the moment where he's still just standing like on the side of the road like he's just reappeared from this quantum realm and he pops back into existence and he's like oh well i still have my stilts time for more stilt crime he Mm -hmm. he had no misgivings over what just happened to him no consideration that maybe he shouldn't be doing this anymore he (laughs) immediately jumps back to stilt crime yeah no that's totally it um yeah i mean that's the issue daredevil ends the whole thing by uh by at-18ing still man you know he ties up his legs makes yeah, a trip which is just like oh why don't you always do that that seems really odd yeah not not a bad uh takedown for the old stilt man but that's gonna take oh. us straight into daredevil number 30 there, there's one other thing that we were talking about uh now now i'd like to note here this is you wanting to talk more about stilt man i'm not, not i'm me. talking about leapfrog Frogman. oh name? sorry is it, is it leapfrog leapfrog yeah dumb name um i do like the this got overshadowed by stilt man but when he leaps out of the courthouse he's like three stories up when he yeah. comes out of the bu- the window, and as he's leaping out, he's like, oh no, they took the straps off my boots, so he just falls to the ground and breaks his leg. <laughs> <laughs> I love when, like, the villain's plans just go wrong like that. Like, no one yeah. stops them, they just are dumb. <laughs> well, it's sort of like, oh yeah, this coming. Um, Alright, so Daredevil number 30. This starts with the Cobra and Mr. Hyde are just off robbing banks. And I just hate it already. Like, who are these schmucks? Like, I don't know who these people these are, are. These are from your from your journey into mystery, man. I, okay, so I, I've i seen Mr. Hyde in that Fantastic Four wedding annual. Oh. Um, I saw him there, but I have not read him in a journey into mystery. Now, these guys Cobra, debut in I Thor, I think. Yeah, maybe it was before I started reading all the Thor. But So Mr. Hyde is basically, what, he takes a potion to turn into big strong guy? Uh, he's Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, I mean, totally. It's he's yeah, a, okay. an inventor. He takes potion and he becomes this big monstrous Mister Hyde. Okay. And he's strong. Cobra, has a little bit of intelligence on and off. What's depending. Cobra's deal? I don't know this guy. Cobra. Uh, he's a lot like a snake. <laughs> he's the he's the snake villain. He's just sneaky. You may right? have yeah, you may have heard of um snakey <laughs> snake type villains. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Cobra. Okay. okay, it's yeah. I mean that that's basically what you get from context. Um, so Daredevil finds out that these guys are robbing some banks and he. 
I, I do like the idea that each of these villains has their, or each of these heroes has their own set of villains, right? So like Matt Murdock sees this and he's like, oh, those are Thor villains. Well, I know how to stop them. I'll dress up like Thor to lure them out. And I think that's a funny idea that every superhero has their pantheon. So to add another identity to his, uh, to the mix, Matt Murdock goes to, I keep wanting, I keep accidentally almost calling him Mike. This is going to really screw me up. Tough not to get Mike, uh, Mike on the brain. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Matt Murdock goes to a costume shop to dress up like Thor. He looks exactly like Thor. It's just like all of a sudden the muscles show up too when he puts on the costume. Like they give a, a one page pinup of him and he just looks as big as Thor. So he goes out to fight Dr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde, and the Cobra, but Thor shows up and sees that someone's imitating him, so you get Daredevil versus Thor. Daredevil dressed as the Thor. Daredevil dressed as Thor versus Thor, who, I don't even remember how this plays out, but I think Thor realizes that, like, oh, he's a good guy, and he loses the costume, but then Mr. Hyde and Cobra show up, and they fight Daredevil. I don't know, it's a mess. It's, it's, I didn't love it. Um... It ends with Cobra splashing Matt Murdock in the eyes with some, like, blinding fluid. <laughs> yeah, he blinds and, Daredevil. Which is very funny. Um, the funnier thing to happen here would be if they just splashed him in the eyes with this and, you know, nothing happened, right? Like, their Grandmaster plan is to basically, like, blind a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> and they happen to, to splash the guy in the eyes whose eyes don't work anyway. But the dumb thing that happens is that since Daredevil is blind already... And this solution would have blinded him. Instead of blinding him, it like, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, where you have different levels of being poisoned or exhausted. Like at level one, you can travel half as quick, but at level two, you can't carry as much. And level three, your strength is lowered. Like there's different levels of it because he's now at level two blindness, which means that his senses are dulled. Not just, he's not just blind. The rest of his senses are dulled. So he's truly blind. You have just been staring into space this whole time. Yeah. I mean, there's, this is a, it's a Daredevil Thor crossover. That's uh, okay. Yeah, I was about to say, why'd you do it, <laughs> That's <Dave>? the book. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, as dumb as I think that is, it is like, there could be something interesting done with, what if Matt Burdock was actually blind, right? Like, what if he was full on blind and could Yeah, not... there'll be, there'll be modern takes on that. Yeah, um, I, I assume they're not going to do a great job. <laughs> I, I don't know. That, that to me that. is not actually interesting. I got to be honest, like that is a different, listen, I'll read an indie comic that is very seriously about like, what does it mean to be blind with some reporting and some research? I don't want yeah. that in a Daredevil comic because that's not, at not this time. I feel like, I feel like maybe a modern writer could do something interesting with it. Um, sure. And, yeah. And, and maybe subvert the fact that like real people's disability is just being used as a gimmick here because ultimately that's what's happening. It's, it's used as a hook. And I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's like inherently wrong of them to do, uh, uh, but it I, definitely I think it is, is part like, of the draw. Yeah, I mean, we, we we get over it, but like, well, I actually think I don't know. We've talked about this a bit. Like, I actually think the the notion of representation of you can be blind and a hero is actually important. And I I don't know. I've seen things like you know people who like kids who can't hear, and then mm -hmm. there are stories about you know oh we create. I feel like Stanley was involved. I'm going off the top of my head here. Um, you know, a yeah. hero who had a hearing disability and like show them something where it's very personally representative. I think that matters across disability, across race. That stuff I think is important. And I don't, they're not doing it for that reason necessarily in the 60s, yeah. but I actually yeah. think it holds value. Now, uh, it, I agree. If, if it's you're... Just, then we're getting into that argument of 
is bad representation better than no representation, right? Which is, I mean, that's a big argument that maybe we should get into once, like, we start yeah. getting more more of that iffy representation of Yeah, it's an interesting question. Groups. I genuinely don't know if this is bad representation. Like, I just do not know enough I, to say. The, the way that, that they talk about blind people is, like, really condescending. So I'm I'm pretty comfortable saying that it's at least at times bad representation. At times, like, be, absolutely. Because times, he's yes. not really a blind guy, right? Like, that's the thing is he's not actually... I mean, he's blind, he can't see, but he basically can navigate better than sighted people. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Yeah, yeah, we we can let, let's we'll, we'll come back to this this conversation. We'll uh, we'll get into this once we start seeing like a wider array of of different groups coming in. Um, yeah, so that's Daredevil. This was awful. Um, I never want to read another Daredevil. I, you know what? I really pisses me off <laughs> is that you put two Daredevil issues this year, and I had to convince you to put that one Thor issue in. We we're talking one Thor issue, and Thor is very good this year. Sorry, I'm sorry. We just talked about a uh, Thor issue. In Daredevil, so you, you do the next on one. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pout. <laughs> also, does that Thor comic include Stiltman? I would argue no. Zach's pouting. I'm gonna carry on. <laughs> okay, next comic. So we got, we read a bunch of Amazing Spider-Man from from here. Um, oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah, I'm so happy. So we we definitely, you know, semi end the year here, sixty-seven on a very high note. Oh uh, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man number forty-seven. It's the first one we read. This is Stan Lee, John Romita, and Sam Rosen. Um, I really like the trick of expanding. So this is a Craven Hunter. Nipple cannons. Spider-Man issue. Let's just and get right into it. Nipple cannons. He's got nipple cannons. That's right. So Craven expands his warrior his warrior skills by putting laser beams in the eyes of the lion on his vest, which coincide with his nipples. So he's got nipple Beautiful. Cannons. Yeah. Okay. And uh, All right, carry that's, on. that's his huge trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean awesome. it's not a bad one it's just that image especially when he's standing you know with, with his his hands on his hips and he's just blasting lasers out of his nipples <laughs> here's the thing very, i would never see that. that that's a very good point yeah yeah so there's there's some cool one thing i did like here is they they kind of reach back into craven's previous role in in some spidey comics and it mm-hmm. sort of um it flashes back and shows like he knows Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin are related. He doesn't know they are one and the same. But basically, the Goblin owes him money. And because he knows that the Goblin has a connection to Norman Osborn, he's trying to track down Norman Osborn to get uh, what he is owed. And at this point, Norman Osborn has no idea who or what the Green Goblin is because he's, you know, suffering some amnesia. That's right. He still can't remember. So uh, this comic, we also get, I think, our first look in the My Marvelous Year Club at Mary Jane on panel. Uh, yeah. Mary Jane Watson is a whirlwind of like sixties oh flightiness. <laughs> it's like she shows up to her the aunt's house. It's uh, her aunt and Aunt May, and she shows up and just immediately turns on the radio and starts dancing. Yeah, Aunt May. <laughs> two old ladies are like hauling boxes because yeah. Aunt May is moving in, and Mary Jane just starts. God, I love I love this trope uh, of Mary Jane always wanting music on no matter yeah. where she goes. Like she's just obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. I, I just picture a scene. Where we're we're at a funeral and it's like, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. And then you just hear in the corner, "Do you love me? Do you love me?" And Mary Jane is just <laughs> dancing around. <laughs> yeah, it's totally like, her she, deal. She turns on music at the most inappropriate times. Always, it's so funny. She, yeah, it's it's an overused trope, but she and a little bit less so Gwen Stacy are just totally like the manic pixie dream girls at this point. They don't really have much of a life besides being like, we're fun and flirty and colorful. And that's 
And and don't get me wrong, I kind of like Stanley's writing on them. Like I think it's very fun, but at the moment at least, neither of them gets fleshed out as a character whatsoever. Like they're just fun-loving gals and they're just there for the boys to be like, "What a firecracker." And yeah, you could power New York City with that. That that's kind of what they get. And, like I like it. I think it's funny and fun. They also but they they are they are interesting characters. Like whenever they're on panel, um they're they're kind of captivating, I think, yeah. in in a way that is maybe surprising if you think of like what that trope could be cuz definitely mm-hmm. there's if we we're thinking about just like female representation at this point in the 60s, like Gwen and MJ are more interesting than the female heroes. Oh, by a long shot. Like I mean like, because they're they definitely seem to be having like an inner life to a degree or at least they have their own agency and they're like but that agency is basically like i just want to have fun and that's it like that is yeah. all we get from these characters so far and i mean that's fun i will just be a little more interested when like we see that brought out a little more and I, i'm nitpicking a little bit like they just no, got introduced. I, I think it's setting the stage just, for that to be developed though because like yeah. if you look at the spidey supporting cast like mm-hmm. that's true right now of Harry Osborne. That's true right now of Flash that's Thompson. True. It's yeah. it is well, true Harry has of a variety. little bit more. Flash has like Flash has he's in the military and he you know he doesn't get along with Peter Parker, but he's a big Spider Man booster. Like those are three different aspects to his character. Yeah, but right we now. know MJ can cha cha. She can twist. <laughs> we know <laughs> so much about point. her. I, yeah, I I don't want to sound like I'm just like a stodgy old man who who can't get on board with this because I think it's fun. too late. Like, I have. <laughs> I have written down that, like, they've got awesome style. Every time they show up, like, their dresses are super cool. They've got great mm-hmm. style. Like, they are very funny. I really, like, we, we make fun of it a lot, but Stan Lee's teenager dialogue is pretty good and funny. Like, they they, they have that... Uh, so let's, let's know, talk like, about that, because the 67 slang is, like, you if you thought it was hard before, like, it is up to 11. Oh, I like it. Issues. Like, I'm, I'm on board with it now. Yeah. Like, I, at least in Spider-Man, you know, like the 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 sheer number of times that mary jane just calls peter parker dad like it and how she's constantly rhyming things it's it's very funny to me yeah dad pussycat those get used a ton and um, she's always rhyming it like I, I can't think of an example like we're gonna have a real wing-a-ding zinger she's like yeah she's like almost like proto harley quinn oh yeah 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 uh um, yeah i yeah I generally like them. I'm just interested to see them like get expanded on. But um, I do like uh, it. And this gets this starts. They start getting delineated a little bit because, especially right now, the first few issues, they basically just seem like the blonde and redhead version of the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like into the boys, they're basically interchangeable. Like Peter Parker. Oh no! See, that's interesting. I actually think of them a little more Betty, Betty and Veronica. Yeah. Well, like, that starts coming a clear, through where like clear Mary difference. Jane is a little bit more of the like the party animal wild child yeah and gwen starts like bristling at that a little bit yeah and starts like rolling her eyes a little bit at mary jane um and they start being competitive but yeah i mean if that's there it's just barely there but i that does get like pulled apart a little bit more what the competition no the, like the difference in personality because i i think they're oh. pretty i think they're pretty similar at the start if even their faces are the same i feel like you would just swap their hair in every scene you would be like oh okay like <laughs> they have the exact same face yeah so no it, it starts setting up that spidey romance it sets up um again the girls he's pining after like kind of oddly he's like set up with mj but then clearly more interested in gwen uh and then gwen's like sort of dating harry 
but clearly Gwen's more interested in Peter. So it's it's interesting, I think, knowing what these characters become that like MJ's clearly Pete's second choice at this stage yeah. pretty early. Yep. Uh which, you know, will I don't know. That'll be a, a thing to follow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I'm enjoying all this. I don't I don't wanna like sound like I'm just, you know, raining on this parade. Like I, I like all this. I think it's fun. Like I just feel like uh I, I just wanna not be critical in the way that like I'm viewing the female characters just because like they're funny. Unlike you, Dave, I care about good female representation. About women, actually. Yeah. Just women yes, in general. I would I I would prefer these were all these were all boys that Peter was considering <laughs> dating. <laughs> that would be substantially more appealing. No, no. I love MJ and Gwen. So uh yeah, we talked about Craven's nipples. That is notes three through eleven on my doc here. Um <laughs> Let's see. Oh, we have Flash coming back in this issue. So Flash has gone to Army. He's coming home from Army. Oh, there's just one. I'm sorry. I keep derailing us. But there's uh, Gwen and Mary Jane are throwing a big party for Flash Thompson because he's going off to Vietnam. Yeah. My favorite detail of this dance party, which is really fun. Like, they spent a lot of time just on the dance party. Like, Gwen Stacy gets, like, four panels just to show her dancing. Yep. (laughs) Um, I, I like how much time they're just spending with, like, yeah, they're just teenagers having fun. And, like... It is fun, and it breaks up the nonstop like action and kind of gives a good counterpoint to it. But I like that Gwen and Mary Jane are, are kind of arguing over who's going to be dancing at the moment and who's going to be passing out hamburgers, which, like, I'm not the hippest guy, but I've never been to a dance party where someone is walking around passing out, like, entire hamburgers <laughs> on the dance floor. I think that's a very funny image of just, like, a bunch of people standing around this disco munching on full-sized hamburgers that sounds like my kind of dance party the the floor is just totally slippery with meat grease i mean hey it's either beer or meat grease so pick your poison (laughs) okay so at this party uh craven shows up he crashes the party and he is seeking harry osborne again trying to get to storm and norman um spidey and craven fight Stormin shows up he has no idea about uh the goblin of course, as we know, but Craven sees Norman show up and, you know, captures him. He basically more or less tries to drop him to his death, and Spidey saves the day by saving Norman Osborn's life, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the Green Goblin, a.k.a. his greatest enemy, a.k.a. surely in no way will this haunt Spidey at any point. Um, yeah, that's that's really yeah. interesting. Because, you know, Norman Osborn is seemingly an innocent guy at this point. Like, he doesn't remember being the Green Goblin. And Spider-Man rescuing his greatest foe, It's it's kind of fun. Yeah, totally. So that is Amazing Spider-Man number 47. It takes us straight into Amazing Spider-Man number 49. We skip an issue, and we still got Craven around, uh, this time with the Vulture in tow. So uh, I read 48 also. I'll give, like, 10-second recap. Adrian Toomes, um, the, the original Vulture, old man Vulture, is in prison, and he's on his deathbed in prison, and he calls in a, a fellow inmate who he begrudgingly gives the secret to his wings to, um, this inmate, Blackie Drogo. And as soon as he tells him where his wings are hidden, Blackie's like, the accident that put you in the hospital? It was me, just to get your wings. And there's a really dark scene in uh, in 48 of Adrian Toomes, like, fading into blackness, and his last thoughts are about of being defeated by Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Did you read that? Do you remember that? Yeah, I read that. Fi- yeah, yeah, it's really good. So I, I'd recommend going back to 48. I don't actually think Adrian Toomes dies here, but that's kind of how it plays out. Um, Spoilers! Yeah, I don't actually know, so... Don't, don't take me at my word. Um, anyway, the, the gist is Blackie Drogo is the new vulture. So it's basically the vulture, but he's a young man. So he's a little stronger. Um, Peter Parker had a cold and he was getting the snot kicked out of him. And that's where we left last saw him is 
laying on a rooftop, defeated, maybe dead, is the the hint that they, or the, the setup that they gave. Yeah. Peter Parker wakes up, he's not dead, surprise, and he like... He just basically crawls off the roof and gets into bed. He doesn't have time to change out of his Spider-Man costume before everybody bursts into the room. <laughs> Which is a very funny image of, like, Spider-Man clutching the sheets up to his chin uh, with Harry Osborn and Aunt May and whatever that Watson woman's name is. Um, oh, that's bugging me. I can't think of that. Emma? That could be. Let me look it up. It doesn't matter. He's getting fawned over in bed. Meanwhile, the vulture's on a crime spree fighting <laughs> fighting helicopters, I wrote. Uh, robbing helicopters craven the hunter is craven the hunter sees that the vulture is on the loose and decides like this is the greatest the greatest prey for me to fight and he decides he's going to go out and fight the vulture uh, there's a really fun moment here where craven is like i've got to stay sharp and he goes down to his tiger cage where <laughs> he just has a wrestling tiger tied up he just unleashes his tiger he wrestles it to the ground and he's like back to your cage raja you know who's who's alpha here um it's yeah. a fun scene, but also Craven's a terrible pet owner. Yeah, it's awful. Like, I mean, my cats hate it when I <laughs> when you come home and just immediately wrestle them, wrestle them into submission. Just right. basically, like, make them say uncle. Mary Jane's aunt Anna, by the way. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> I like you had to look that up. Uh, Mary, J- I have a note here. Mary Jane always puts music on, no matter how inappropriate. So, like, Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane show up to visit Peter Parker in his sick bed, and she immediately like. <laughs> turns the records on and everyone's like mary please he's sleeping (laughs) (laughs) and and she just is like i can't get enough of those groovy discs like her her energy level again i like them a lot i think they're fun they would be exhausting to be around yeah like the two the two of them um we basically get craven the hunter finds the vulture they start fighting we get a pretty good fight um oh i want to call out john romita he's the new artist we talked about this he's doing a great job like, I love John Romita's art here. I feel like he he lands, like, right between Kirby and Ditko for me. Um, and that, like, his writing or his, his art is a little less, I wouldn't say sloppy, but, like, Ditko had a real, like, um, I don't know, free-form style. Like, his lines weren't always the cleanest, um, but he, like, captured action and movement really well. John yeah, Romita kinda... does that, and right. his his stuff looks more, like, considered and solid and fleshed out yeah it's kind of insult to injury i think for ditko because ramita picks up without missing a beat like so i don't know i like i just i love john ramita's art on spider-man it's kind of what i think of when i think of the character and it's just like it kind of sucks for ditko (laughs) because he wanted more credit and he wanted more you know like acknowledgement for having created this character and or co-created and having put in so much work and then it's like when you have this guy come in and like nobody notices you're gone kind of thing you know which is maybe too harsh but it's like that's kind of how it feels people are just like wow dicko's dicko's art is really tightening up yeah right um that's kind of a bummer for him but it's it's good for spidey fans yeah yeah so basically when we have spider-man fighting um first off i do want to call out on page eight the vulture claims he's the world's first airborne act of piracy and thank you very much stilt man did it well before <laughs> well before blackie drago it, it, you know what at least it makes sense with the vulture because he can fly off stilt man's still just on the ground like do your crimes on the ground stilt man <sighs> sky crime uh so blackie uh he drop kicks a helicopter and then, and then he screams a man with wings can do anything 
anything, which is one of the craziest sequences of any villain. Uh, and it's it's one of my favorite like panel sequences. It's very sequences. funny how power hungry he becomes just because he's got wings. Yeah, it's why. And again, they like, also draw him as like now he's incredibly superpower. He kicks through a chimney at some point. And he just yeah. like kicks the bricks to to uh, to dust, and it's like you just have wings. Like your legs would break. Right. No, these wings just have him so so high on the adrenaline of flying um so yeah craven again he like he wants to hunt vulture here because he thinks you know vulture's top dog he's got to take him down and basically spidey just kind of needlessly inserts himself like craven craven yeah. and vulture will clearly take each other out but spidey's like well they'll destroy half the city in doing so they won't care about who they hurt on the way which may or may not be a valid excuse yeah, for jumping into in this the middle battle of fighting in a greenhouse like they probably would have finished there yeah, right. Maybe so. Um, I don't really have anything else to add uh, oh, about well, the ending okay. of it. The, the ending of this is really good where Craven takes his nipple shot at... <laughs> Sorry. He really saves it. Like... He really saves the nips for the, the right moment. And he takes a shot at Spider-Man, but Spider-Man sets it up so that the vulture gets zapped by it and is knocked out. I do wish the, Craven uh... used more puns at this point and was like, let's nip this in the bud. They're in a greenhouse. <laughs> That's Wow, double pun. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, yeah, so he inadvertently knocks Vulture out, and then we get, like, such a good end to this fight. Spider-Man and Kraven are trying to, to, to trade blows, and Spider-Man gets under his defenses, gets one really good whoomp punch to the gut. Yeah. And we get this awesome panel of Kraven's, like, blank face, and it's like, he's he's finished. He just got knocked out, but he doesn't know it yet. And if memory serves, Spidey even says, like... A wumpf like that usually takes out a guy. Or do you have the quote written down? Yeah, and he says, uh, I wonder if he knows he's defeated. And then the next panel is Craven falling, and he's like, man, he does know he's defeated. Like, it's a very good moment. Like, the, the moments where Spider-Man, this is something that's happening a lot, is he's getting pretty cocky. He knows when he's when he's doing well. And those are pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the end of this was great. <laughs> There's a letter here that I wanted to call out. Someone who's just basically obsessed with Peter Parker having a mom. Or, like, a mother figure. Have you okay. seen this? No. Let's see. Dear Stan and John, uh, you blah, 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 Spider-Man, you ruined him by giving him his own pad. The only reason Spidey continued to remain a Spidey during periods of crisis was because he wanted to escape from the ap- apron strings of Aunt May. Oh, I don't know if we've called it out. Spider-Man lives in an apartment now. That's that's the context. Yeah, he's living um, with Harry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Spidey, he had no home, and he could be as adventurous as he wanted to be. But now Spidey has his freedom. Beating villains like the Shocker will take second place to mess around with the gang. Soon the mag can be retitled as the many loves of Peter Parker. Pete's private life will be take will take up all the mag, and once every year Spide- Spidey might be mentioned. In other words, give Peter back to the apron strings of that old hag. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> On second thought, why not let Pete find his mother and have her demand that Pete live with her? <laughs> I love this, like, hey listen, it doesn't matter which... Which woman Peter Parker is beholden to, but I just need him beholden to an older woman who <laughs> keeps him in line. <laughs> it's a very funny demand of this comic. You know, it is kind of, I don't know, there's there's probably a lot more to unpack there about, like, what is it What is it that makes Spider-Man work? And what are the contexts in which he's the most interesting? And yeah. should, the, should the magazine be more Spider-Man or more, you know, supporting circle is probably a big question. Like, that was the big Stan Steve rift, you know, allegedly was like... Yeah. Steve wanting more because I think we as readers, you and I think are on the same page of like really liking the the social interactions oh, and sure. sort of the non Spider Man parts of it. The best part, yeah. 
Um, but obviously you'd have a lot of readers who that was not the case. So Stan, Stan's yeah. definitely like listening to that concern. Which is as well. just like, go read another comic because that's most of what else they're writing. Like if you don't like that here, like you have your pick. I've got no, got no time for that argument. Yeah. Um, all right. So wait, you mean if people don't like a comic, they can read another comic? Is this a, no, no? Is you this need an to option? obsess all day, every day about how much you don't like the one thing. No, I'm being, I'm being intentionally to... sarcastic because we hear that all the time today. No, I, I know. I was, I was and playing it's along. crazy. I was, I was playing along. Oh darn it. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, um. Yeah. That leads us into Amazing Spider-Man number fifty, a momentous issue. I said momentous weird mom a momentous issue <laughs> how dare you <laughs> this is a momless issue i should um this is spider-man no more it's a big one and uh this is stan john romita mickey demio inks and sam rosen on letters so ams number 50 opens with spidey stopping a classic you know gaggle of robbers that leads to uh, basically a sequence of spidey worrying about his reputation and in particular he's worrying about the effect J. Jonah jameson is having on his reputation as Jonah continues going on public broadcasts and, you know, denouncing the acts of Spider-Man. We get a whole sequence of sort of all of Spider-Man's problems balling up into, you know, all happening at the same time. Uh, you have Aunt May is deathly ill again. You have Peter oh, Parker. Okay, well, I wouldn't say she's deathly ill. She was calling Peter Parker and he wasn't home. So she needed to be sedated because she just got too worried. <laughs> she is on death's door constantly. I mean, yeah, um, she is on death's door, but it's just like, she was just like, I called him twice. What's happening? And yeah. they're like, all right, you need a shot of. This is what happens when a woman's 197. Um, <laughs> his grades are slipping. He's struggling in school. And, yep. uh, and he can't go to Gwen's party because he's busy as Spider-Man. So right. basically you have Pete, you know, he's struggling enough. And then uh, he's struggling so much, actually, in fact, that he starts buying into J. Jonah Jameson's spiel himself. He's listening to a Jameson monologue, which, again, like, you know, we talk about Jameson as the newspaper owner. He's on TV. He's on the radio. Like, this guy's mm -hmm. a big media presence. Um, and and Spider-Man says here in his quote, perhaps only a madman would do what I do, which is an interesting level of introspection, I think, because, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> we joke now a lot about, like, you know, you'd have to be crazy to put on a spider costume and run around beating people up. But, right. like, Peter's actually questioning that here and saying, like, is this kind of insane? Psychosis? Yeah. yeah, like, are, are are these people, I mean, you get that a lot more with Batman, I think, that idea mm -hmm. of, that this, this is not just something that he does because he's motivated to, it's, it's a psychosis that he can't ignore. Yeah, uh, page nine, basically, it's this iconic splash page of the Spider-Man costume in the garbage, as Peter Parker does declare Spider-Man no more. Damn fine shot. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really great art there by Romita. Yeah. Uh, the costume is found by a young boy who brings it to the Daily Bugle offices, and J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> runs the announcement of Spidey calling it quits. Oh, what, do, you know, do you remember what he offers? The little, the, like, J. Jonah Jameson is so excited to get this costume from this mm -hmm. kid. Oh, he offers him a free couple of the Bugle. <laughs> I love that. Like, oh, I know what a 10-year-old boy will like. A free newspaper. <laughs> and the 10-year-old boy has the great response of, that's a, that's a reward? is <laughs> <laughs> clearly disappointed. Um, but yeah, the press goes wild with the announcement of spider-man calling it quits uh which again is like there are a lot of costume shops these days it does seem like a weird uh <laughs> a weird assumption to jump to but yeah, they're not yeah. wrong we get um a first shot of a faceless kingpin plotting to you know make his move in the in the underworld of crime with spider-man out of the picture 
and we get Peter Parker now basically adjusting to life as um, as just Peter Parker. So he actually quits the Daily Bugle since he'll no longer be able to take photos of Spider-Man. And we see some like sort of cutaways to crime is taking off in, in this area of New York without Spider-Man around to sort of, you know, operate as control. But things are going well for Peter Parker, who can go on dates and he can study at night and get a good night's sleep and he can go visit Aunt May. Like we, we get this little vignette of, hey, everything's coming up, Peter. Yeah, he's having like a really good time. He's clearly getting along with Gwen. Like you get, they get these sort of flirtatious back and forth that he, you know, he has time for and nothing in the way. We haven't mentioned that Peter Parker owns a motorcycle now. And I think it's like the funniest detail from this age that I don't know if that carries over much longer. But he bought a, he bought a motorcycle like five or six issues ago. And I think it's mm-hmm. just really good. It's like it almost gets used as a like his superhero transportation. Like very often he's just buzzing around on his bike, which is also, I mean, owning a motorcycle in New York City. Like, come on. <laughs> That's the stupidest yeah. thing I've ever heard. Um, but he... Well, uh, I always see it as kind of like a, it's almost like a little moped type thing. Like it's not like a Harley, you know? It's not like he's riding around, like riding around on a hog. Yeah, yeah, but still. Um, and he's like, oh, better park the bike and get my Spider-Man costume on. It's when he doesn't want to web around the city. He just motorcycles around. Yeah, so this issue basically comes to a close when Peter Parker is, you know, he's loving life and he's walking by and he overhears a crime. And he sees a man being mugged up on top of a building and he jumps up there in his civilian clothes. You know, he doesn't have his costume on him um, and he strikes very quickly so the attackers won't be able to identify him. But he cannot help but uh, help this man who's, who's in trouble and stop the crime. And then basically reflecting upon this, he remembers his origin. He remembers Uncle Ben's death. The, the security guard looks a lot like Uncle Ben. Okay, so that prompts it. And it really solidifies and seals his vow to never again make the mistake that he made that led to Uncle Ben's death way back in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Okay, so how do you feel about this? Like this this resolution to him? Because he becomes Spider-Man again, right? He goes, he mm-hmm. breaks into JJJ's office. He steals back the uniform, which I think is a very good scene. Like JJJ yeah. walks in on him. <laughs> He's got his feet up on jameson's desk and he's like oh the least you could have done is dry cleaned it for me before he webs off so that's a really fun moment but um yeah what do you think about this resolution of him coming back to being spider-man it's hmm. i think for a one and done issue it's effective like this story could have been the next two issues which are kind of kingpin focused as we'll get into those Uh could have been like pulling spidey back into the fold is like kingpin sort of forcing him out and instead it happens very quickly which Maybe maybe isn't as great of a story, but it, it's more effective as a single issue, definitely. You know, being one and done, I do kind of appreciate. I I actually like him renewing. Again, like we're talking about, this happened in 1962, 63 now, when yeah. his origins were happening. So I actually like the callback to be like, why is he doing this again? Why right, why, right, right. why is this important to him? Um, I think it's not, we today in pop culture are inundated with, Yes, we know his uncle Ben was killed. Yeah, but at the time, it was probably a useful. It's not like Batman, where you were just seeing, like, how many times, how many times have we watched the Waynes get shot? Right, totally. (laughs) I haven't read Um, that many Batman comics, and I feel like I've seen that scene thirty times. Right, totally. So I I actually think the callback here to to like why he does this and his remembrance of Uncle Ben is useful because it it solidifies like yeah, this is why he's Spider Man, and this is. We've talked about before, like there will be other motivations coming, but at this point, this is this is it. This is the only reason. So I, 
I like this issue. I think like it generally works really well and like their pacing is good, their writing is good, the art is good, like all these things work. But I feel like the whole thing hinges on a little bit of a phony premise, which is that like, oh, he just forgot that with great power comes great responsibility. Like when he, you know, who rescues a guy who looks like Uncle, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, he's like, oh, oh, that's right. I was doing this to protect so that nothing would ever happen like what happened before. And like, it kind of frames it like this just slipped his mind that that was his great motivation. And it felt, it just felt like the whole thing was a little phony to me. See, I actually, I actually think that reads authentic because yeah, I don't know if you've ever like set a goal for yourself or, you know, like you have a motivation of something that happened in your past. It is easy for that to fade. And I think reminders can help you, um, be like no this is why I'm, this is why this is super important to me something especially something as <laughs> i just was thinking of spider-man uh like his phone rings he pulls yeah. it out of his pocket it's just a push notification from like <laughs> one of these self-modifying apps and it just says with great power comes great right. responsibility right. and he just you know swipes it off the screen yeah i don't know i just think like we take for granted that like heroes have this never-ending fuel of motivation but if right. you think about them as people which obviously these magazines are asking us to do um it would take some reminding it would take some moments uh of true reflection to actually be like i cannot stop doing this here's why because yeah, yeah. it would fade like for after a certain point he's not thinking about uncle ben he's web slinging he's fighting the craven he's fighting the, like it's just kind of happening to him almost yeah yeah it's just that like the reason he quits doesn't have anything to do with that so he quits because like it's interfering with his personal life and then he gets back on the spidey train because he realizes that it I guess it doesn't underline enough that, like, yes, I need to accept the sacrifice because this is important. It just says, like, I, I feel like they don't link those two things well enough for me for it to be, like, totally work. And I, like, I wish this landed better for me because I was looking forward to this issue. I know it's kind of a big thing, and I remembered liking this. And then when that happened, I was just a little like, oh, okay, well, it's weird that he, like, forgot about Uncle Ben's death, and that's why he's doing this. But, like, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's totally unsuccessful. I just, like, the... um this man, this monster just worked for me. Like that just landed and hit fired on all cylinders for me. And I feel like this just, this just lacked a little bit, but like, you know, that's, that's just me. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I don't know that it helps necessarily that it's just like a random security guard. Um, as opposed to like, if Aunt May was threatened or if Gwen was I mean, threatened. I, I actually kind of like that because, cause he looked, yeah, I, I liked, I don't know. I kind of liked it cause he, you know, he just looked like uncle bad and it reminded him, but yeah, maybe that would have been more effective though. So. That leads us into 51, and we've been seeing the Kingpin, like, gather the, the criminal underworld and starting this wave of crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, open up with this really cool splash page of the Kingpin, this big bald guy, and he's smashing his fist down. He, he's, like, Godzilla-sized, mm-hmm. smashing his fist down into a bunch of skyscrapers, and, uh, yeah, it's very fun. Uh, and Spider-Man's back, so he's, like, you know, he, he's excited to be Spider-Man. He's having fun, kicking some criminals' butts. Um there's a great moment where he's fighting a bunch of guys and one sneaks up behind him and like delivers this crushing karate chop blow to his back. Yeah. And another criminal's like, Oh, I thought this guy had the strength of 10 men, but he got knocked out so easy. And then Spider-Man like bursts up, punches them. And he's like, um, Oh yeah, I just had an itch on my back. I knew if I waited long enough, one of you guys would get it for me. Yeah. Like he's just playing with them. He just like, he, he's so, which I like the, I like the back and forth between like, cocky confident spider-man and self-doubting 
I don't know, self-doubting, guilty Spider-Man. Like, mm-hmm. he has fun with it sometimes, but other times it's this huge burden. And I think that's a fun interplay and, like, makes him an interesting person because he <laughs> can have different feelings about things as time goes on. Yeah. Um, we see Frederick Foswell, who's been JJJ's reporter that was, used to be a criminal and now he's reformed. He decides that now that the, the criminal underworld is wide open, he's going to step in and reclaim his place as the head of all crime as patchy i guess um no the big man oh right yeah yeah it, well he says something like if the kingpin can do it why not patchy it, yeah but he doesn't go in as patchy right it is it is interesting to me i i really expected throughout these issues the first time i read them for foswell to be playing some sort of like reporting game um, yeah, yeah but he's too. pretty seriously like i want to be a criminal again <laughs> like he's really reverting well, they, they like they underline that he's not lying because the first time we hear that he wants to take over things it's in thought bubbles so he's thinking to himself like hmm the perfect opportunity for me to return to crime so it's like yeah we know that he's not you know pulling a trick because <laughs> unless he's just you know get, getting in that deep undercover right yeah <laughs> even, even his thoughts are pure um so frederick foswell goes to the kingpin's side to take over but the kingpin quickly overpowers him because turns out the kingpin is not just this big overweight guy he's actually pretty quick and pretty strong and he's got a cane that will disintegrate you or something um he he kind of wins over foswell to his side to be like a lieutenant or something spider-man through a series of fighting other criminals who work for the kingpin tracks down the kingpin who at this point um he has kidnapped j jonah jameson because as head of the newspaper and public opinion whatever Mm -hmm. um he wants you know to j jonah jameson to basically stop reporting on this crime wave yeah and there's i i think it's interesting like the kingpins the way he's depicted here is not the way probably modern fans think of the kingpin um he's a very serious daredevil villain he's a serious sort of mobster and here he's very he's kind of bondian you know he's got a a lot of like gadget tricks um he actually like his his tricks actually are more in line with like the joker than anyone right, else where yeah. he actually uses a lapel pin to gas spidey at the end of uh ams 51 also spider-man should know better at this point this is like the fifth or sixth time spider-man has been gassed and he even got a mask at some point it's just like he just can't be bothered to <laughs> to always wear it right because uh, he just keeps getting gassed yeah so this ends with spider-man tracks down kingpin who has captured j jonah jameson he gets knocked unconscious and they get hauled down to the basement of of the kingpin's mansion skyscraper i don't even know what building they're in yeah uh, and that's where we lead into 52 also we get the introduction of robbie robertson here but yeah. like only just barely yeah <laughs> i don't even know if he's introduced like he's just all of a sudden there as someone who works at the daily bugle yeah it's kind of interesting because all of a sudden the bugle's like yeah here's our city editor robbie robertson and i i don't know i reading to this point i always felt like well they have four people that work for them <laughs> but yeah, then right. when it, because that's all we've seen. But then when you think about it, it's like, no, they're a full-fledged newspaper staff. It, I guess, I guess really, you could sneak in characters anytime, And that should make sense. Um, Robbie, of course, if you know Spider-Man lore, is going to become a huge player and uh, a really nice addition to the Bugle cast. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah. and I actually didn't notice him until the next issue. And it was just all of a sudden, I was like, hey, Robbie Robertson, has he always been here? How long has he been here? And I had to look it up because it was just like he was there. Right. And, he, and I know him. So it just kind of felt like, he might have been here for like 15 issues and I just didn't notice that he <laughs> joined in. But no, he showed up in 51 and kind of was just in the background. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so AMS 52 is all about um, Spidey and J. Jonah's escape 
from the Kingpin. Uh, Kingpin sets him up in a classic 60s supervillain trap of their tide back-to-back in chairs and they're <laughs> in a, a room filling with water so they're going to drown spidey's still it's, unconscious yeah um, it's ridiculous yeah he wakes up as the water's filling up and of course he uh the way that they escape is not to actually burst out of this room but spidey just quickly webs up the top of the dome and basically creates an air pocket um like a little air dome in their uh in a bubble of webs that him and jonah can you imagine from. how awkward it is under that bubble well, they wait. <laughs> well, Jonah, as he's doing it, Jonah's crying like, "I knew you were mad. This is insane. You're just shooting webs into the air." So obviously, like, Spidey's not communicating his plan. And I feel Jonah like we could no get idea. an entire comic book, like one whole issue of the five minutes between when Spider-Man lowered that dome and the water level lowered of just yeah. Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson, like their faces, you know, one foot apart, scrunched up close, and just like, because uh, eventually, like J. Jonah Jameson is going to calm down and it's just going to turn into like, ah, uh, so. Um, read any good books lately or, uh, like just quite awkward conversation. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Jonah ever comes down, but, uh, so basically <laughs> the way they get out of this, Spidey starts fighting the bad guys. He tracks down the Kingpin, yada, yada. Um, do you get some very visceral fisticuffs between Spidey and the Kingpin? I actually quite yep. like their battles because Kingpin is so strong that Spidey can wallop on him and not, you know, hold back. Like they're just, they're just two guys going it's, at it a lot of times. It's a weird times. level of like Kingpin is like almost hulkish in his strength you mm-hmm. know like spider-man can almost hurt the hulk but he can't hurt kingpin like there, there's a strange a weirdness going on we're basically i mean he's not super powered he's just a very strong 300 pound man yeah right so as spidey and, and kingpin are kind of fighting um you have jay jonah he's like kind of unconscious and then he's trying to basically he's trying to escape the sort of labyrinth um that he's trapped in and you have all kingpin's henchmen uh out there and they just like immediately are like open fire on jonah and what winds up happening is Foswell is simultaneously sort of navigating this maze and trying to get out himself because his his gambit to assert himself, you know, as the as a partner or even like a leader of the Kingpin has gone horribly. <laughs> he has not succeeded by any measure. Well, it goes wrong because all of a sudden he's like, I wanted to run all organized crime in New York City, but murdering J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man, that's one step too far. <laughs> like that idea where like, I wanted to run crime, but not kill anyone yeah and jonah has a special place in in foswell's heart because he's the man who gave gave freddie a chance a second chance um so freddie actually steps in front of jjj as these guys are shooting and basically takes a bullet um and and gives his life to keep the very cowardly j jonah jameson um from getting shot in these issues there's a a really good moment where j jonah jameson is running in the dark through this basement and bonks his head on his pipe on a pipe and gets knocked unconscious and then he's just leaning up against the wall and he wakes up and the water's dripping on his head <laughs> and he reaches up and feels it's wet and just starts screaming blood and starts running down the hallway again. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that gives Spidey enough time to come in, save JJJ, get him out of there. Uh, J Jonah still hates Spidey after all that. So even I get like he saved his son's life in amazing Spider-Man number one. Now he saved J Jonah very directly. And somehow J Jonah still coming out of this as a, as a Spider-Man hater. Um, but all in all, these are pretty good issues. I, I like this introduction yeah, of the campaign I had a ton of fun in particular. Um, so yeah, these are these are recommended reads from me. Yeah. All right. So this is a special bonus issue that has been added to the list at Jack at Jack. Geez, excuse me. At Zach's behest. Well, so Dave, uh, um, if you if you have access to the My Marvelous Year spreadsheet, which is you can get access to on the Patreon, 
Dave, when he was going through this initially, had a little side section of, like, Dave's stuff I couldn't fit, which are other issues that he thought were pretty good, but didn't quite make the main list, and trying to keep the list down to a reasonable level, um, just put them off to the side, basically like, hey, if you want more, these are also good. Kind of like I'm doing with extra issues, but I'm expanding that a little bit more. Um, I read through those, and I just thought that, like, this one... Thor issue should be thrown in. The other ones I might cover on extra issues. We'll see as time goes on. Yeah. What is it? Thor 136? I don't have it. 136. Yep. Um, The reason I wanted to cover this is over time, Thor basically has been in love with Jane Foster forever. It's been a huge point of contention between him and Odin, which is kind of interesting. Like Odin doesn't want Thor anywhere near a mortal woman and has punished Thor for it multiple times. But (laughs) basically Thor just wore him down, eventually got his approval And this issue starts out with Thor is bringing Jane Foster to Asgard to meet his dad. This is really fun. I feel like we've seen Asgardians on Earth quite a bit, but this is the first time that we're seeing Earth people on Asgard. Yeah, it's also a really important issue in that regard. Like, Asgard is still still more or less myth to the people of Earth, you know? Like, humans have not really been there. Um, So Jane going there, not even the Avengers. There's been one thing where, like, one reporter or something got brought to Asgard, but then he got his memory wiped. So yeah, right. No, this is it's a big deal, it, and they really underline it by making Asgard like as big and mythic as possible. So she shows up on the bridge, the Rainbow Bridge, and immediately like hordes of Asgardian warriors pound past on horseback, carrying like a troll prisoner. Yeah, Heimdall is standing there, all big and imposing. Like everything is as big and overblown to kind of underline that. You know, she's just this normal mortal woman in the midst of all this Asgardian splendor. So she goes and meets Odin, and she's kind of terrified, and he says, like, take my hand. And when he touches her, he bestows the powers of a god on her, which gives her the power to fly. And he says, you know, my son shouldn't marry anyone who isn't isn't a god, so I'm going to give her god powers. It's definitely got that, it's definitely got some very, like, uh, human I don't know, like your parents don't want uh, someone mar- you marrying someone who's not of the same ethnicity or the same wealth class or something. Like it's got those overtones, but obviously at God level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, there's definitely like he's looking down his nose at her a little bit, but he's also kind of allowing it, even if condescendingly. Yeah. So Jane starts to fly off and she's having a great time until she's like, wait a second, I don't know how these powers work. What if they just disappear? And when she starts to have some um have some fear over that she won't be able to fly she starts to fall and it's like this whole thing that you know as guardians don't fear anything and when they fear that's their weakness and so she starts to fall thor saves her and they bring her to this like trial i feel like it's basically. a very uh, i feel like it's a very practical concern that i actually appreciate jane having yeah. being like wait yeah. oh I'm for sure thousands of feet in the air how long does this last because not enough heroes question that yeah and then also like I just got these. I don't know the rules about this yet. Yeah. So they, they take her basically like, you need to pass a trial in order to be ushered into the, the halls of Asgard. Yeah, they put her on fear factor. <laughs> That's exactly what they do because <laughs> they just, they're like, we're going to put you in the room. We're going to summon, oh, what's it called? The unknown? The scary big bug. <laughs> oh, it's it's called something. It's, I think it's called the unknown. Um, and, and they ring a, a tuning fork, a giant tuning fork to summon it. Yeah. And then she gets basically put in a pitch black room where like a creature is going to come out. And all they say is like, don't forget, you can use your flying powers. Slam. Dark room. (laughs) Nowhere to fly to. Yeah. So she's in this room and then this thing starts crawling out of the dark and she starts panicking as anyone would. 
and uh, and calls for Thor, who's like, I can't, I can't help but come to the the side of my lady love. And he bursts in, and it's this huge, like, six armed rock creature that we never get a clear look at because it like the idea is that it feeds off of fear and it's this kind of big amorphous amorphous monster yeah this is one of my least favorite uh jane moments because it basically like they just show jane is just this terrified like kind of coward um not that it wouldn't be scary to anyone but like there's a dialogue bubble here of thor help me my darling thor and it's just it's the classic woman in need of a man to save her which having yeah. just given her these asgardian powers i'm kind of like oh that's disappointing like that's too obvious it is but like it's frustrating because i wish that they had written her a little more realistically and not so like you know her her wrist on her forehead and she needs a fainting couch right away because like they are kind of underlining that okay so what happens is that thor takes her out and he's basically like upset with odin that he put jane through this trial and odin is like yeah, sorry, we can't have anyone who's this, you know, we, mortals basically don't fit in here because they don't have an Asgardian's bravery. And Jane doesn't have that. And sorry, poof, and he sends her back to Earth, like, right. <laughs> immediately. Trial over. Um, and, and Thor even accuses him as like, hey, you knew this would happen. Like, you only said that I could marry Jane because you knew she wouldn't pass this test and this whole thing was a setup. Yeah. And he's mad at him, which is true. Like, that's kind of how this feels is like, oh, yeah, no one would pass this. Like, there's no human being who would get brought here who'd be fine with it. And I, I kind of think that's interesting. But then you're right that, like, the way that they draw that she reacts to it is a little overblown. Jane does not. She does not help her case. Like, she does not fight against a condescending um, Odin stacking the deck against her. You know yeah. what I mean? At this yeah. point. Yeah. So she goes back to Earth and immediately is like. Wow, I don't remember where I was. Anyway, I guess I'm at work. Wow, who's this handsome new doctor? It's like she immediately finds a new doctor to fall in love with. Yeah, she's like totally reset, basically. Yeah, and we cut to Thor. That monster that was in there is still on the loose. Thor goes off to fight it. In the middle of fighting it, another warrior jumps up behind beside him and helps him defeat it. And it's Lady Sif, who is Heimdall's sister. And Thor immediately is like, ooh, a new sidekick. This is pretty good. And uh, and falls for this new Asgardian warrior woman, Sif. So it's yeah, they like they both reset. It's basically like oh okay, you get the idea that like their romance is over, their romance is done, and uh, both of them have moved on. Like in the in the course of four pages, everything's splintered, and now Thor is focused on Lady Sif, and Jane has a new blonde doctor, and everything is kind of resolved on this point. Yeah, um, but I I still think it's really fun, interesting, like seeing Jane there. I think it's fun seeing that fish out of water those fish out of water scenes yeah it's a good issue and i i think you're right to want to include it um even if you're wrong to want to include it at the exclusion of stillman i would have i would have read avengers annual number one twice instead of read that (laughs) stillman issue (laughs) you say that but i know that's not true (laughs) that's not true (laughs) yeah um yeah so this is my regular reminder like read a bunch of thor like if you're into this all of thor is pretty good actually that being said the uh the troll saga there's like a troll war thing coming up that i think is just like okay so so but in general like 1965 66 67 thor is very good like i'm really enjoying all these so check them out and uh and i think like we said the inhumans start to be the backup for thor comics which is pretty interesting i haven't gotten into that yet Cool. So that's the end of 1967 part one. We're going to be back in a week with 1967 part two. 
uh, we would like to call out here. You know, if you if you're enjoying the show, definitely check us out um, on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, if you're interested in Facebook, you know, if you're interested in like our Slack channel where we're talking about the comics with everybody in the club, then check us out on Patreon.com slash my moral this year and you can find uh some ways to support the show and also again get access to that exclusive slack channel as well as some other bonuses and perks yeah if you uh, i feel like i want to make sure that if someone is coming in late and you know you're listening to this and the, the 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 reading club is way ahead of you like still pop into the slack it's still worth coming in like we talk about the stuff that we're reading con- currently but there's also a ton of other conversation happening in there it's like it's becoming quite the little community it's really fun yeah it's good stuff and on Patreon, you can also get access to our yearly poll. Uh, and for 1967, you all set with me doing this? Yeah, let's let's share the poll. Okay, so we've got this year for 1967. We're asking you which superhero, or which superhero or heroes have it the worst. So we've got Iron Man with his faulty heart. We've got Ben Grimm with his how do we put it? Um, gruesome Monstrous transformation, appearance, visage, if you will. I could say monstrous visage. <laughs> it's just gruesome transformation. The easiest way to describe that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, are you, what are you, the beast? <laughs> um, X-Men being outcasts in society. Yeah. Spider-Man with his publicity problems and his work-life balance. So basically everything that is a problem with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Or Captain America with his dead Bucky Barnes. Yeah. And and being displaced in time. I would throw well, in. yeah, but... Oh, that's, <laughs> that's actually arguably a worse i don't know if it's worse but yeah they're tied together yeah that's a big part of it yep cool so again you can head on over to the patreon and that's where uh you will be able to vote in that poll which we will discuss on our 1967 variant cover episode here in two weeks time uh you can if you want to check out some of my writing and comic book discussions and guides you can go on over to comicbookherald.com you can also find all the reading lists for the my marvelous year club there if you go to my it'll take you to the sections on cbh where you can find those if you want to get feedback to us for the 1967 variant cover get that into us by april 23rd music for the show is by disaster piece thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next year see you next year mm-hmm.